You are listening to the Next Best Series podcast, and this is Daniel Howitt's interview with the creator and showrunner for Our Flag Means Death, David Jenkins, and Nicole Ackman's interview with the show's period costume designer, Christine Wada. Blackbeard, Captain Kidd, the gentleman pirate. Well, the first two are like very, very talented pirates. But the last one is the scariest of them all. Instead of killing with weapons, he kills with kindness. Oh, right, so you're the gentleman pirate then. Well sussed. The rumor is you upended your entire comfortable life. Become a pirate. I got bad news for you, genital pirate. Pirating is not for everyone. It's a really dangerous lifestyle. Hello, everyone. I'm Blackbeard. Huge fan, sir. Huge. We're going to go on up there and we're going to cause some havoc. How violent do we expect this to get? Note the gusto. Mind you taking notes? I'm just looting this library, but I'm replacing all the books I've looted with ones I've already read. Thanks so much for taking time to talk with me about your show, Our Flag Means Death. I appreciate your time. Yeah, man. Happy to. So uh, I've talked to a number of people who have had a very similar experience with Our Flag Means Death uh, that I did. You know, we turned it on expecting uh, a funny, probably very silly pirate show. And it is those things. But what seems to caught us all off guard is is what the show turns into, this this beautiful romance that we didn't expect so i'm curious how how much uh, if at all did the show change as you developed it or or was this always the pitch to hbo yeah yeah it was it was always in there it's kind of a it's a trojan romance um where uh you know i think the only reason to make the show is why why uh, we're steed and blackbeard together and and that they fell in love um so I think doing a slow burn of that and have it being a bit of a surprise seemed fun to me. Um, but yeah, it was always the meat of, of why we'd make the show in the first place. I've seen you talk before about wanting the show to be escapism to a degree. Tell me more about that and, and how, that, how that idea kind of guided you. Um, well, um, you know, I, it's... it's it's a pretty silly comedy about this this person who decided to do a very very unusual thing, um, and uh, I don't know. I mean, you're already like, oh, this is a good workplace world, and then I kind of like it when something is. Um, I, I like it when things accrue in a story instead of resetting every episode. Um, but I kind of like the idea that it, you know you can. It's pirates. Like if you're gonna get really literal about it, it's gonna be about um, trauma, and it's gonna be probably a, a lot of damp wood, and um, and it'll probably resemble very much like uh, Master and Commander, or like uh, the Terror, the first season of the Terror, which are both excellent, um, and it just feels like we didn't really need another one of those. I haven't seen Black Sails. Um, I should, but I'm kind of staying away from it until after we're done with this show. Um, but that seems like they did that very beautifully and well, too. And I, I haven't really seen a, a comedy done in a pirate thing, particularly on TV. Yeah. 
and and you know kind of to the same point as much as this show is about gruff pirates there's they all kind of have this unabashed sincerity that kind of runs through them um and so how did you weave that in without it feeling forced especially with the characters that we're dealing with um i don't know i mean you kind of they're all like toys when you're writing them they're all like little toys you get to play with and you have all these that's what i like about ensembles is you you have all these different flavors of character you can play with and then when you start adding actors to those which we did later in the process you're like ooh, uh this person now does this and this and and this actor can do this um so i think just keeping it loose and being true to who they are generally is characters and i i like it if there's a little more psychology in my comedy even if it's really like stupid there's a character like the swede who is like just a cartoon um and then Olawande has a little bit more depth and, and just more going on. And so to have those things side by side next to somebody like um, uh, Rory Kinnear or, or um, Ewan Bremner or uh, Khan O'Neill, who are like really meaty actors. Um, so having all of those things in one show, you can really pick, like you, you get to play with all these different knobs and dials that do different things. Yeah, how much did some of those characters shift as you did cast them? That's a good question. Um, I feel like we wrote everything up front, uh, and then you end up rewriting a lot from the room, particularly in a first season, because you don't know what the show, no one knows what the show is, including you, almost maybe even especially you. Um, and then when you cast people in it, you think you know it, and then you cast people in it, and then you're like, oh my God, this is what it does. This is very specific. Um, so I think it's more just keeping the arcs and the storylines, and then just bringing the way they speak to the characters, where if you know, you've got like Kong, and he's like really intense, and like a guy who speaks like that, you're just, you, it's going to inform what you've written and you're going to have to reshape it to that person. Well, like you, like you already said, you know, this isn't exactly the, the historically accurate, you know, pirate drama. Right. Um, so, and, and Steed and Blackbeard were probably not great people in real life. Um, and so obviously you avoided dealing with that true to real life story side of the characters uh, but what sort of history did you kind of dive into research processes and and how did you balance that with the story you were actually trying to tell um we did very little i i, I did i will say i did look at steed's wikipedia page i think was the main but it's really like interesting because i looked at it a lot and then kind of put it away um after kind of like doing uh, like a rough arc of the season and then you go to the writer's room and you know some of that is maybe not as useful and you end up coming up with different ideas and beats and the freedom to do that is great and then going back i was actually surprised it's more accurate than i thought it would be in terms of him um when he did certain things when he met Black, he actually got stabbed up and then met Blackbeard as a result. So there was things like that. They both were going to do the act of grace and get amnesty and become privateers. And then uh, Blackbeard kind of did him dirty. So I changed like some of the beats got inverted, but it was surprisingly like uh, for the Steed stuff, 
it's informative because it gives you some kind of a structure to push against. Um, but my thing is really just try to ignore as much of it as possible and then see, see where it goes. That's good. How did you get connected with Taika on this project and which came first, starring in it, executive producing it, directing it? Which of those? Uh, he's my nephew. Oh, wow. Wow. It's nepotism. Breaking news. Breaking news. Yeah, it's just another case of Hollywood nepotism. Yeah, I figured. Uh, I didn't know what he was doing with his life. I was worried about him. Uh, he had done some kind of like indie uh, comic book movie about a Norwegian god. Yeah, and, if there's anything uh, about Taika, it's that he has nothing going on. Uh, no. Yeah. He's listless. Yeah. Uh, is how I describe the boy. Um, uh, we share a manager. Um, and then my manager, uh, I had this idea. And then uh, he's like, hey, Taika, uh, maybe you'd be interested. And uh, I was like, uh-huh, sure. And then, uh, and then he was. So, I mean, it, it happened that quickly. And it was like a pretty quick phone conversation where I think we both level set and we're pretty quickly like oh yeah this seems like a, a good fit um you know a, a good thing for me is like i i kind of brought up 24-hour party people when we were talking because i was trying to find a way to do mockumentary in a way that doesn't feel like mockumentary or keep some of those same things and that movie does that very well and then he came to it with master and commander and we were just talking about that. And sometimes when you are just able to have a conversation with somebody about a movie or a thing you have in common very quickly, it's like, oh, okay, cool. Does overlap, you know, there's, there's conversational flow. This, this will go well. What was it like uh, putting, putting the writer's room together as the show owner, just kind of uh, getting together in that environment and, and developing this show uh, from a writer's perspective? Um, the writer's room is like casting the show. It's the first cast you build. Um, so you really want to go through and see like, what do, we, what do we need for this cast of the writer's room? And how will these X-Men who are freakish in their own way and have their own superpower blend into a, a fighting team? Um, that, you know, you're really just, who can you, who would you go on a road trip with? You know, again, it's like the conversation that, Taika and I had where you're, you're, you're both feeling each other out. And at, at a certain point, like there's so many good writers. Um, so the big thing for me is just how do you get, <clears throat> I call it a, a sociological imagination because that's all you're doing. You're trying to imagine yourself as a different person and what are the givens of that different person. And you're trying to build one brain that is the sociological imagination of the show. And so to do that, you just need to make sure that you're getting a wide array of perspectives um, uh, in sexual orientation, in uh, backgrounds, um, race. Uh, class is a very hard one. Uh, I, I'm not sure that uh, I, I've, I've figured that out. Um, and, uh, but you know, you, you, you just want as many different flavors and voices, and then you want them all to yes and each other, um, which is tricky. Like, you really have to pick to see, like, who there's really good writers who are a no but. And it's, it's like, okay, cool. You're not built for a writer's room. Finding people that have really strong voice who yes and each other, if you do it well, it's, uh, it's quite nice. 
what was your biggest challenge as a showrunner or just in in developing this show? Um, figuring out, I guess, the size of it and not letting it kill the comedy. Um, I would call the show overproduced in a way in that we were given uh, the, the HBO Max is wonderful to work with. Um, and the executives just let let me take it wherever I wanted to take it and were su- just supportive. I mean, we had very few things. I can't remember a specific thing that they were like, no, don't do that. Um, and then would cheer on some of the things that I thought were darker and would scare them. Um, the big thing was just the amount of resources we had were uh, quite good. And in this show, if you're going to do like a giant video screen around a ship, like that's something that you use for, you know, a Star Wars thing. So it is like, how then do you preserve the intimacy of the show when the actor, because we're all like, you're, you see the thing in camera and then you forget that everybody's a biological being who has to walk onto a set and then feel comfortable. And that's kind of the job but there's a looseness that comes with comedy that I didn't want to get eaten up by the giant video screen and the really beautiful, huge set. Um, I didn't want people to feel like they were in something that was like, Ooh, I better not fuck this up. Um, you know, so keeping that looseness and still making a personal show while having these, these resources and making something that is truly like a, a half hour comedy while having these resources, it's very rare rare mix we made like a prestige comedy which doesn't exist and for a good reason because they're hard to make well uh, you know you talk about the intimacy uh, of the show of the characters and obviously people have latched onto that and um the this this slow burn fandom has really developed underneath the show uh what's what's that experience been like for you just uh, seeing how much people have fallen in love with these characters and really attached to the show just unreal I mean, it's unreal. It's, it's one of those things, you know, is not going to happen often in a career. So you you just, just to enjoy it. And, and, you know, these things all don't always stay positive and it's very positive right now. And, you know, when it's not positive, then you just deal with that, but it's still positive. And I think that's, it's just exciting. I mean, just to really be present with it and enjoy it. And I think that's why people from the show engage with it because these things are fleeting. And to be able to share this with people in a way that's kind and hasn't gotten weird um, is great. And then when it gets weird, you move on, I guess. I don't know, but maybe, maybe this will be one of those things that doesn't get weird. Yeah. Well, uh, season two is on its way. Where, where are you at in season two? Are you, you guys still writing? Has it started production? uh what's what's in store what's in store for season two spoil Uh, everything okay well there's gonna be water okay that's a start there'll be a ship there'll be some pirates um there'll be feelings you'll feel things um uh, i'm in the writer's room right now um and 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 uh have have left to do this and need to go back um uh um uh, and then we shoot in new zealand in the fall late summer fall so we're we're racing against the clock to get these scripts good enough to be good going into your brain if you're watching them 
Awesome. Well, I, I know so many people are excited for it. Last questions, and then I'll let you go back to the writer's room. Both shows that you've created, this and People of Earth, are these kind of more high concept um, comedies? Yeah. What 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 attracts you to these ideas that uh, that aren't just these you know simple simple comedies? They're 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 broader, more high concept. What what draws you to those ideas? I wish I had ideas that were two people, just two people in a room, Daniel, and they were just hanging out and you know going to a cafe, like a two hander in a cafe. And I just like genre things, I think. And I like, um, I like genre things. And I don't, you know, I'm not a big alien sci-fi person and I'm not a big pirate person. Um, but there's a wonderful thing when you can find a genre and push against it and subvert it in a way that you haven't seen and make it maybe a little more human, especially if it's normally an adventure genre. Um, it's wonderful to like Christopher guest those things. And, and then you have the tools of the genre to go back to. So it doesn't just turn into flat naturalism. They, they're in a world that has size and fantasy and, and maybe genres are a little more romantic um, because they break reality. And then when you go back to reality, reality is somehow more real because it's up against this very unreal thing. And toggling between those two things um, seems seems like a, a fun place to, to be and to write in. You can have your cake and eat it too, I think. Hello, this is Gary Chahot welcoming you to check out the French History Podcast. Our main show covers the history of France from the first humans until present if you liked Mike Duncan's The History of Rome and wanted a similar program covering the land of beauty, culture, and love, we are exactly that. We also host world-renowned scholars who have delivered guest episodes on their specialties, including 18th century pirates, revolutionary booksellers in 20th century Paris, the special friendship between the Marquis de Lafayette and Thomas Jefferson, and numerous others. Learn what you love and listen to the French History Podcast today. History is complicated. The story of human progress is long, messy, and riddled with controversies big and small. On Conflicted, we dive headfirst into history's most infamous events and contentious figures. We try and untangle the good from the bad, the facts from the fiction, and the monsters from the misunderstood. Was Genghis Khan a murderous butcher or a civic pioneer? Did the Allied powers go too far in firebombing the German city of Dresden at the twilight of World War II? And how did the Marquis de Sade acquire such a sinister reputation? And was any of it true? These are just a few of the tough questions we wrestle with and investigate on Conflicted. So if you love history or just enjoy a good story, please join me, your host, Zach Cornwell, for a fascinating new topic each and every month. Conflicted, a history podcast, is available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. I hope to see you soon. awesome and I, and I love that it's not it's not even a strict parody of the genres either it's 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 a it's a it's a part of the genre but it's doing its own thing in a way 
Yeah, I don't like parody very much. I find it to be, I, it's just not my thing. I mean, there's very good parody, but I like, <clears throat> to me, like The Princess Bride is just as homage to whatever that genre is. It's a pirate thing and a fantasy thing, but it's never making fun of it. The fun that you have in The Princess Bride is for all of us, and it's for the characters as well. And it's never us outside of the characters laughing at it or laughing at the conventions of it. And somehow, like, that's the kindest and most fun kind of fantasy um, that when Terry Gilliam would get it right and when uh, Princess Bride <clears throat> would get it right and you know uh, they're engaging and they pull you in and they make you feel like a kid because some of the things you're you're excited about and you get to be genuinely excited it's not making fun of that excitement um you know so i think these things when you do it and you're not making fun of it you get to maybe um write a little love letter to what you like about it well david i'll let you go thank you so much for this show and congrats on all the success i'm excited for more people to continue discovering our flag means death Thank you, thank you. This is fun. You know how hard it is to find someone doing something original out here? Do these outfits maybe feel like an error in judgment? Or... It's a power move. Make people feel underdressed and suddenly you're the one in charge. You're a lunatic and I like it. Oh! We're swashbuckling. We're looting. <laughs> Let's have fun with it. <laughs> Come on. Give a man a warning. That was your warning. A lot of the guys are sweethearts deep down. Oh, that's perfect. They're just dealing with a fair amount of trauma. Permission to blow them to hell, Captain. And we're quite certain they're pirates. Hard to say. One appears to be a heavy set woman in a silk dressing gown. Everybody hide! A gentleman never arrives empty handed. I made tapas. Tapas means little plates. Yeah, I know about tapas. Well, thank you so much for chatting with me today. Of course. Of course, six, six, <laughs> Well, I absolutely love this show and I really love the costume on it. So I was curious, what first drew you to this project? Oh my God, what didn't draw me to the project? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, first of all, David Jenkins and, and Taika, just the, David's writing, it was maybe really one of the most exciting scripts I've read in a very long time. I mean, they just were solid from the minute I the first drafts that I read were fantastic. And you just, I just knew it was going to be special because it was that perfect blend of, uh, you know, comedy, but real people that you could identify with and just not, not glossy all the time. So it was really, there was no way I could say no. <laughs> I don't blame you for that. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> exactly exactly and I think one of the most fun things about this show is that it has a sort of fantastical pirate feel to it um and I know that you've worked on other projects in the past like Loki that also have a sort of fantasy element so were you purposely sort of trying to bring that pirate lore into the costuming here well I think that the most it wasn't wasn't as much about being fantastical as it was about being really trying to find character instead of just uh, everybody's, uh, you know, the same pirates that we've seen over and over again and to give each person their own personality. And I think the, I think the best advice we all got was to be somewhat anachronistic about it. 
And, um, and so is, you know, you do your homework on the era, but because you've done that homework, you are allowed to sort of expand. And we really uh, pivoted towards early 80s East Village, New York, as characters from there like Patti Smith or, uh, you know, Basquiat as real inspirations to find these characters and then add that fantastical element into that pirate period. And instead of just doing, you know, uh, just that very classical pirate look and being so locked into the look instead of the character. Yeah, absolutely. Was there anything in your research sort of about the period that surprised you that you weren't maybe expecting to find? Well, I will say that I was happily surprised to find, and it isn't, a, isn't research about the actual period, it's research about pirate movies that were being made, that pirates really wore slops, which looked like skirts. And historically in Hollywood, uh, they always steered away from the skirts because it was too feminine and it wasn't gonna portray that swashbuckling male lead. So I instantly gravitated towards that, uh, you know, for like Lucius or certain characters, I thought that would, because the truth is, is that that is, that is real. That is what, what they wore. It just never was, um, really hasn't been portrayed in Hollywood, so. I love when there's just things that you find that are actually more historically accurate but because of how things have been portrayed, you know, maybe an audience might see as more anachronistic. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So Steed and Blackbeard are both characters who care a lot about how they look and how they present to the world. So what sort of, you know, challenges and opportunities does that present to a costume designer? Oh, well, I mean, the challenge on our, was our schedule, <laughs> like making those, <laughs> all those, because as you know, Steed had a very extensive closet. So every episode was a new invention of steed and and how he might pivot and dress towards his adventures um so that was always challenging to find uh what what would steed do and where can we take it that's within his character but not so uh unbelievable <laughs> so you know like like going to the island you know he's the Teddy, it's kind of inspired by Teddy Roosevelt, which is really mm -hmm. wrong. But I think it still sort of fits somehow. Like it still believe that that existed in that period. But no, the challenges really were just finding what their characters would do, right? What would they, what choices would they make? And Taika, the biggest challenge is keeping you comfortable in all those leathers. <laughs> My next question was, yeah. you know, was it a challenge to sort of create a this very leather look for Taika that he could still easily move around in? Oh, yeah, very difficult. But you're also addressing Taika, who really just brought it to life and knew how to uh, work every nook and cranny of that costume, I will say. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, it was it was really difficult. And it, we shot in the summertime, so that made it even harder on the cast because not those clothes aren't forgiving, especially Steed and um, and uh, Blackbeard's costumes were definitely, you know, layered. So absolutely. 
One of my other favorite costumes that we see is uh, Spanish Jackie's looks and that red suit and, you know, sort of all of her costumes. And what sort of was your process for designing for that character? Prince. (laughs) Fully inspired by Prince. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Well, Prince, just like Jackie, it's like a a masculine and a feminine side. I think Prince always treaded that line very, very well, successfully. And it seemed like the natural inspiration for for Spanish Jackie. But, um, oh, but just getting back to your most difficult thing of the costumes was being able to sit down in those leather pants. I was I was very impressed by how much movement he has, you know, going around the <laughs> ship and everything in yeah. all of that leather. <laughs> yeah. I know. Hardest thing, sitting down. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, like you were saying, you really wanted to get an individual character-based look for each of these characters. Were there any in particular that you were really excited about the results for them? Um, or just, you know, are there any other characters that you felt had like a really... Um, sort of you had a breakthrough moment and trying to figure out what you wanted them to wear. Wow. I think that every single one of them was, I I don't think I can pick one out and it was so collaborative all the way through that. um, No, I don't, I cannot tell you that I think I had a favorite. It was almost as if everyone get in the room we're like oh my god you're my favorite and then you do the next video oh my god no you're my favorite yeah I think it just they all gelled in their own way and they all started to make sense really specifically and especially because in the research and sort of the ideas that David and I came up with in the beginning really defined and uh, separated the characters like you know Blackbeard's crew and then Steed's crew the color palette for Steed's crew is brighter and lighter and we went really bikery for uh blackbeard's crew so it was already by the time the cast rolled in we had really had specific uh ideas in mind and they all just every one of them just uh stepped right in to everything so yeah. can you talk a little bit more about that collaborative process of designing the costumes you know how how did you actually go about sort of you know, obviously you get the scripts and everything and where do you go from there? I always start with research. So I started with research. And then of course, as the cast rolls in, you try to blend what that person might bring to the table. And then, um, and then because this was a very quick turnaround, I just started uh, gathering inspiration pieces that I really loved and I knew I had to make multiple sets of everything because they wear the same thing the whole time so I just started um, playing with looks on a mannequin that were geared towards all my references and research and when I say references and research I don't mean just from the 18th century I mean we I really pulled from everywhere um, anything that could just help to to define a character so then I put everything on a mannequin and worked out my color palettes. And then we uh, then built the costume off of that. Started fitting and aging everything like crazy. What's one thing that you think people who watch the show might not know about, you know, these costumes, whether that's sort of an overall thing or, or something in particular? 
that a lot of vintage trim and vintage uh, fabrics were used. It's a lot of sourcing of just real vintage uh, pieces to help heighten and make the look more um, grounded to look more real and less Halloween. <laughs> Absolutely. I think that definitely comes through. <laughs> Nothing the matter with Halloween, but uh, no, we really wanted the characters to to feel like they really were living in their environment. So, And obviously, you know, we, we sort of mentioned the mobility and the weather at the time, but were there any other challenges in terms of shooting because this is you know sort of such an active um show that you had to be aware of while designing the costumes stunts always mm-hmm. just the, the the action and the stunts definitely have to be aware of it and for their own safety so um it becomes yeah very big part of how um you design things without wanting to give away a stunt as well right but it does change how you design things because it just means that you have to, uh, you know, you have to have a ton more yardage or you, they're just, you have a lot more restrictions due to that. So that's a difficult, definitely a difficult aspect and, um, but an important one. Yes. (laughs) Because, yeah, because the action is like a huge part of it and you want it to still feel cohesive. And finally, I was curious, you know, obviously we've talked about you did research on the period and and there were sort of modern or more modern influences like Prince, but were there any other depictions of pirates that you either sort of were inspired by or that you wanted to really steer away from? Um, I definitely wanted to steer away from not necessarily historical pirates because all of that, by the way, is just illustrations. So it becomes... um, you know, your own, your own mind can fill in the blanks for color or all of that. But I think the one thing I really did want to steer away from was the whole Pirates of the Caribbean, that very dark, that, you know, dark, overly uh, ornate clothing. And to also just give it a sense of heat to give the, to give, to kind of portray that sense of heat and aging. It just was important to take off some of those big frock coats and all that, those big hats and all that stuff that sometimes just takes away from connecting to the, to the human. Absolutely. So, yeah, I think so these I, costumes seem very wearable. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I think, I think they show, they show off each character. I mean, to not have every single person covered in a frock coat, you get to see their, their individual bodies and their movement and what makes them unique. Well, thank you so much for chatting with me. Um, I I think the costumes in this show are just so fun and really fit everything else about the show so well. Ah, thank you so much, Nicole. That's really, really flattered. Thank you. (laughs) Of course. A labor of love. That's wonderful to hear. Yay. (laughs) Perfect. Yeah, thank you so much. Hey everyone, thank you so much for listening to Daniel Howitt's interview with Our Flag Means Deaf creator and showrunner David Jenkins and Nicole Ackman's interview with the costume designer Christine Vada here on the Next Best Series podcast. Our Flag Means Deaf is currently streaming on HBO Max and is up for your consideration in all categories for this year's Emmy Awards. 
You have been listening to the Next Best Series podcast, part of the Next Best Picture podcast umbrella, and you can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. We are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, and if you want to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, rate us five stars, drop us a comment. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can also lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you'll get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening, as always, and we shall see you all next time. And I'm Audrey. We are a sister filmmaking duo and co-hosts of Sleepover Cinema, our show where we analyze the films that created the collective unconscious of the girls, gays, and theys of the late 90s and early 2000s. Princess Diaries, The Cheetah Girls, Aquamarine, Cinderella, the one starring Brandy. We haven't stopped thinking about these movies since we first saw them, and we want you to rewatch them and review them with us. Are these movies as bad as critics would have us believe? Do we even care if they are? We are always unpacking that very question on Sleepover Cinema. Check out Sleepover Cinema wherever you get your podcasts or at evergreenpodcasts.com. See you soon.